0: day sometime in the near future when this guide will not have to be published. That is when we as a race will have equal opportunities and privileges in the United States. It will be a great day for us to suspend this publication for then we can go wherever we please and without embarrassment. But until that time comes we shall continue to publish this information for your convenience each year. Welcome to our psychology and social justice podcast. We're The Shrinks on 3rd, and I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel.
1: And I'm psychologist
0: Julie Mayer. Come on in. Today, we're going to talk about The Green Book. Julie, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a movie a couple of years ago called The Green Book, which to a lot of white people was a feel good movie about a famous black musician and a racist working class Italian white guy who went on a trip through the South with him as his chauffeur and bodyguard. And both were changed in some way.
1: Yeah, I saw that movie. I get why white people might think it's a feel-good movie. But I also imagine Black people might not really have felt so good about it. Well, I can't really speak for Black people. But from reviews
0: I read, some Black people believed it was another white person's take on race relations just to make white people feel good, which... I definitely see that there could be a lot of rich material in this movie, but the movie, which was inspired by a true story, chose to focus on the good white guy who changes because he gets to know a real black guy and finds out he's really a good guy too.
1: not much changes for the black guy, except he does come to see the good in this white one. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear, our plan today is not to talk all about the movie, but just to give people a little summary in case you haven't seen it. So, you can get a context for the conversation. So, Cindy, would you mind briefly just summarizing the movie? Well, in the movie, the famous Black pianist, Dr. is
0: kind of a nickname, Dr. Donald Shirley, who was played by Mahershala Ali, who's an amazing actor, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dr. Donald Shirley is driven through the Jim Crow South for a concert tour by Tony Vallelonga, nicknamed Lip. Tony was a racist who, in the beginning, you watched throw out a glass in his home after his wife offered it to a Black man to drink from. So you quickly get the idea that he's an unapologetic racist, and he changes for the better from his trip with Dr. Shirley.
1: The film was criticized even by the family of Donald Shirley and many others who feel the movie focuses more on Tony's character while downplaying and and even mischaracterizing parts of Shirley's life. But, you know, it was a Hollywood movie. That sometimes happens. Yeah, I just thought it was important for us to um, take a look at that because
0: the title of the movie was taken from a real book referred to as The Green Book, which is what we're actually going to talk about. And the movie never really addressed or explained the significance of this book, which is another odd factor about it a white man was centered in a film actually about a brilliant and talented black man. The title of which is the name of a book of great significance to black people in the days of
1: segregation. Right, Cindy, I know this might be hard to imagine, but there was a book that served as a guide to people of color when they traveled. The full official title of the book was the Negro Motorist Green Book, published by Victor H. Green and Company. This was a travel book published annually from 1936 to 1967 that provided lists of hotels, guest houses, nightclubs, gas stations, drugstores, bars, barbershops, beauty parlors, tailors, garages, and restaurants that were known to be safe for African-Americans to visit. The Green
0: Book, listed places in the deep Southern states, such as Alabama and Mississippi, but also found places all over the country where people of color might face prejudice or even danger. We have to remember that segregation was all over the country back then, not just in the deep South. The Green Book even listed
1: places in Harlem, New York, where it was dangerous for Black people to go. At that time, sometimes it was even harder for Black people to travel in the North and the West, because there were not clear signs for where they would be welcome and where they would not, like in the South. So the idea for the Green Book came from a 44-year-old postal
0: worker named Victor Hugo Green, who lived in Harlem, New York. Like most African-Americans, he experienced racism and discrimination and wanted to do something about the treatment Black people had to endure when they tried to go beyond the bounds
1: of their immediate neighborhoods for any reason. You might not have even known to think about this, but it wasn't safe for people of color to travel in many places because of prejudice and horrible laws and rules, and they had a lot to navigate when they did travel because it wasn't always clear where they would be welcome and where they wouldn't be welcome. So Victor Hugo Green wanted to save them from the fear, embarrassment, the difficulties, even the violence that they might sometimes meet, trying to stay or even just to eat at certain establishments. With the invention of the automobile back at that time and an increase in
0: job opportunities, car ownership became very widespread in the years before and after World War II and everyone, including Black people, could get around a bit easier. People had cars and a little bit of disposable income and wanted to get out and enjoy themselves on vacation or travel for business or whatever else takes people to the
1: road but there was a lot of danger for black people traveling around. Right, they never knew what form of discrimination and racism they would come up against. There were also a lot of segregationist whites only policies that were accepted at the time. And those made it difficult if not impossible for black travelers to find safe places to eat and sleep. There were places called sundown towns across the country where Black people were not allowed to be once the sun went down. And apparently, there were even more of these in the North and the West than in the South. Sometimes there was a bell that rang when it was time for Black people, usually who worked in the town, to get out. I know this is hard to believe, but it's true. This just
0: sounds so horrible.
1: Yeah. They
0: were allowed to go in and work there, and then they had to get out. Yeah. Wow. And then to be prepared for whatever they might need out on the road on a joyful family road trip. Black people would have to bring their own blankets, pillows, food, and drink. They'd even bring gasoline and portable toilets when they could, knowing that it could be hard to find a place where they'd be able to safely stop just to refuel or use a bathroom. As an added benefit with the Green Book, they'd even find community and entertainment, not just food and a place to stay, all of which are crucial, really.
1: Yeah, Green became especially aware of the fear and embarrassment that Black people had to manage on the road when he married a woman from Richmond, Virginia, the South. They would sometimes travel there from their home in Harlem. And also, while he lived in Harlem, he delivered mail in New Jersey. So he experienced racism
0: leaving Harlem and going from there to Virginia or New Jersey Or anywhere he went, just like other Black people. Yes. So white people had plenty of travel advice written, and there were even books published especially for the Jewish population to give them a heads up about places that didn't accept Jews. Guides for Jewish travelers also appeared in Jewish newspapers. So these inspired
1: Green to develop a guide to help Black Americans to navigate travel through the country. The first edition of the Green Book was 15 pages, and just covered hotels and restaurants in the New York city area where he was living and working nearby. It was so popular that by the second year of publication, he expanded it to cover businesses all over the United States. He was able to collect reports and information from co-workers around the country since he worked for the post office and offered to pay readers who sent in useful information. This was a smart
0: guy. Yeah. So yeah, Julie, Victor Green was a member of the National Association of Letter Carriers, and he used his involvement in that organization to reach out to postal workers across the country and gather information. So within four years, the Green Book listed thousands of places
1: nationally that were either Black-owned or Black-friendly. It's pretty amazing. After a couple of years, Mr. Chaz A.R. McDowell who was the collaborator on Negro affairs for the United States Travel Bureau, worked together with Victor Green to gather increasingly helpful and useful information for the Black traveler. The Green Book went through various changes in its title and in the
0: information provided, though always with the same idea to help Black Americans avoid intimidation on the road and even enjoy themselves. Its full name became The Negro Motorist's Guide to Travel and Vacations by the early 1940s.
1: During World War II, publication of the Green Book was suspended briefly, but it started up again in 1947. Green opened a travel company that year on 135th Street in Harlem and was able to retire from the Postal Service five years later. Good for Green. Yeah.
0: Listings in the Green Book were organized by city and state with most being in major cities like Chicago and Detroit, of course, New York.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. More remote places had fewer options. Alaska only had one entry in the 1960 edition, but all 50 states were eventually covered to some extent in addition to Canada, the Caribbean, Latin America,
1: Europe, and Africa. Even in cities with no black friendly hotels, The book often listed the addresses of homeowners who were willing to rent rooms. The book let people know to mention that they found out about them from the Green Book so that they'd be welcome in as strangers. That's cool. The Green Book wasn't the only handbook for Black travelers, but
0: most of the others went out of business for one reason or the other. They also weren't published as long nor reached as big an audience as the Green Book, which was nicknamed the Bible
1: of Black Travel. It was even available to buy at Esso gas stations. You may remember them before the name changed to Exxon. I don't want to say, but I do. I remember too. <laughs> <laughs> how old we are, yeah. but it was available to buy at Esso gas stations across the country through a sponsorship deal with Standard Oil, connected through the efforts of James Jackson, the first African American to work for the company as a marketing specialist. Esso was one of the only US oil companies that allowed African-Americans to buy franchises. The company sponsored the Green Book and sold it in its gas stations. That's
0: a good bit of history.
1: Yeah. The Green Book wasn't really something white people
0: knew about at first, or even later for a lot of them. It was written up in a major New York paper at some point though, around 1941, and the article gave it high praise. Then there were white establishments listed in the Green Book, either when they were truly anti-segregationist and therefore welcoming to Black people, or some were capitalists who didn't want to leave Black people's money on the table. So, of course, they welcomed them in. Activists also used the Green Book to find
1: safe places to meet and to stay. As you might imagine, the Green Book was a pretty necessary book for any Black traveler. It eventually sold more than 15,000 copies every year and was used widely by Black business travelers and vacationers. And by 1962, there were more than 2 million copies of it in circulation. And it kept expanding. It grew to over
0: 80 pages and even became an international travel guide. Along with suggestions for the United States, later editions included information on airlines and cruises. The guide also offered travel tips and feature articles on certain cities and in-depth travel essays.
1: Every year, the guide expanded to offer more and more information. As places to stay grew, the extra information was cut out, though, and the focus went mostly to hotels, motels, and guest homes for tourists.
0: The Green Book usually avoided discussing racism explicitly, but during the early 60s, it did begin to talk about issues being advanced by the civil rights movement. In one of its last editions in 1963 to 64, it included a feature entitled, Your Rights Briefly Speaking, that listed statutes from various states related to discrimination or travel.
1: Victor Hugo Green died in 1960, after almost 25 years of publishing his travel guide, his wife Alma took over as editor and continued to release the Green Book in updated editions. And I think she's the one who put in that part on your rights, briefly speaking, for a few more years. Back almost 20 years, in
0: the introduction to several of the editions beginning with the 1948 edition, Victor Green wrote, and this is a quote from the book, there will be a day sometime in the near future when this guide will not have to be published. That is when we as a race will have equal opportunities and privileges in the United States. It will be a great day for us to suspend this publication for then we can go wherever we please and without embarrassment. But until that time comes,
1: we shall continue to publish this information for your convenience each year. In 1964, the Civil Rights Act finally banned racial segregation in restaurants, theaters, hotels, parks, and other public places. 1964. Two years later, the Green Book stopped being published after 30 years in print. A 2019 documentary entitled The Green
0: Book Guide to Freedom depicts the real story of the historical travel guide that helped Black Americans to navigate travel across the country, in case you want to
1: learn more about it. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter. Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on 3rd. Till next time. Take care.